Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon from our series, Followers, a study on the specs. For more information about specs or how to get involved with CBC, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, would you help us right now to hear you through all of the noise that is distracting us from you? You, the creator of all things, God of the universe, has... You have spoken to us through your word, and we would ask for your mercy that we would be able to ignore the distractions that come from without and our own motives and ambitions that fight us from within so that we could just receive the pure milk of your word today. Do this for us now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you grabbed a Connect card in the back, you may have noticed that we're starting a new series today called Followers. Uh, We have this little acronym around here. Uh, You've probably heard of it. We call it SPECS. Stands for Scripture, Prayer, Engage, Community, and Stewardship. And these are uh, just uh, tools that we've come up with to help people follow Christ. And there's nothing spectacular there. These things are nothing new. Uh, in fact, uh, Christians, I would say, throughout the, the, the ages have, have utilized these tools to grow in their relationship to Christ. When I was in Chicago, uh, I was a youth pastor up there. We were kind of in between two large uh, institutions. One of them was Moody Bible Institute. You may have heard of that. We would have students come through, and they would need to minister uh, internships and stuff like that for classes, and some of them just wanted to get involved. And so they would come to me, and they would ask if they could get involved somehow with the ministry. And one time this guy came uh, his name was Teo Bonescu, and he, uh, he had a thick Romanian accent, and he had really long hair that he gelled straight up, okay, like, like this high. Uh, and so, he was, he was an odd dude, uh, to say the least. And so, I, I said, well, come by, and, come by and talk to me sometime. So, we sat down uh, in the office, and uh, our, our hearts were just knit together really quick. He had grown up uh, in Romania under the communist uh, regime there, Ceausescu. Their family was persecuted as Christians. Um, and so, we're, we're sitting there talking, and everything he thinks about ministry is just so right on, you know? <laughs> and I'm, I'm amazed. And, and, and he's just this young guy. And, and so, finally, we actually became very good, good friends. And towards the end of our conversation, I said, Teo, where'd you get this? Like, where'd this come from? You know, and probably in my, my own youthfulness at the time, I expected him to say, you know, some famous pastor or some book. And he said, I, I just, I read the Bible. It was, it was in the Bible, you know. And uh, I, I tell you that to say, there's nothing spectacular here uh, other than the fact that this is how Christians for, for all the ages have, have, have come to follow Christ. Um, so at CBC, we want to make sure you're clear that we are not just making these things up. Okay? And let me also say this. Specs is not five steps to a better life. Okay? Jesus doesn't want to give you a better life. He wants to give you a new life. 
all right? Just, just keep that in mind as we go along here. Jesus actually wants to give you a new life, all right? And so as we talk about what it means to follow Him, uh, I think that'll, that'll be clearer. Um, so first of all, what I, what I need to do this morning is I want to build a little foundation for this series, okay? I want to establish what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and then over the next few weeks, we'll take those five different specs and we'll root them in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And today, uh, as has already been said, we're going to talk about what it means to submit to Scripture. All right, think with me about the the feeding of the 5,000, all right? Fairly famous uh, story in the Scriptures. You got the loaves and the fishes and the little boy, all of that. By the way, it is the only account that appears in all four Gospels prior to the, uh, the Passion Week or the Crucifixion Week of Jesus, okay? So, all four Gospels consider the feeding of the 5,000 to be important enough to include in what they write about Jesus Christ, okay? Now, what is significant about the feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus, having fed all of those people, finds them coming to Him. You can read all about this, by the way, in John 6. I'm going to kind of blow through some things this morning. But He he finds the people coming to Him saying, we want to make you king. And a couple of things about that. Number one, you would think that would be a good thing, like Jesus is king, all right? And, And secondly, from the people's perspective, they're like, hey, this guy can feed us unending, who, who doesn't want, you know, if you're going to have a king, who doesn't want a guy who can provide you with food and raise the dead, right? I'll follow that guy. I, that, that, that's a good deal, all right? But Jesus knows that they're more interested in filling their stomachs than they are in filling their souls. And Jesus has come not just to provide them with food to, to, for, to, to, to help them grow physically. Jesus has come to provide them with food for eternal life. And, and, and that food is himself. And so, Jesus starts to say some very strange things. He starts to say, well, if you want to follow after me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this is very strange. And what he's communicating is, I am the source of eternal life. I am, I, I am what God has provided to give you eternal life. But many of the people are very confused by what he says. And so, John 6, 60 says, when many of His disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then John 6, 66, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. Now, the word disciple in the Greek simply means to be a learner or a pupil. So, these were people who had submitted themselves to learn what Jesus had to say. But when Jesus started talking about that they needed to trust in Him for eternal life and not just for food that made them full, many of them said, that's it, we're out, and they walk away, and they don't follow Him anymore. Immediately after this, in, in John 6, 67, Peter turns to his, I'm sorry, Jesus turns to His own disciples, and He says, uh, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And there it is right there, by the way. I, I feel like I could leave it right there. If I, if I was trying to just today, all I was trying to do is just simply to convince you that submitting to the Word of God is, is, is a large part of what it means to follow Christ. There it is, right? Peter says, look, I, I've come to know two things. I've come to know that you are 
the Holy One of God. You are God, very God. And number two, I've come to know that you have the words that lead to eternal life. Where, where else would I go? And that's, that's, that is our response to the Scripture as followers of Jesus. He is God. He has the word of eternal life, words of eternal life. And so, we submit ourselves to the things that He says. But for purposes this morning, I just want to establish for you that the first step in being a follower of Jesus is to recognize who He is, all right? So go with me then from there to Matthew 16. I want to continue to make this case for specs being rooted in what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus does some strange things after He leaves the feeding of the 5,000. He begins to travel all around with His disciples, and you may have noticed, He stops trying to draw a crowd. If anything, He starts to sort of try to avoid the crowds. And you may remember a couple of times He heals people, and He says, you know what? All right, I'm going to heal you, but after I heal you, I need you to go home and not tell anybody about it. All right? And what he's doing is he's trying to get alone with his disciples because he's got something really important that he wants to tell them. So he finally goes up to a place in Matthew 16 called Caesarea uh, Philippi. All right? And up there, it's kind of it's kind of like Las Vegas for Roman soldiers, all right? There's this, like, uh, there's this springs up there and these grottos, and I, I won't go into detail, but pretty much what it is is it's a place where no self-respecting Jew is ever going to be. And so Jesus goes up near that place because that's a place that He can finally get alone because He's got something really important to tell these guys. Look with me at, uh, at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, okay? So, it's kind of a pop quiz. Hey, who, you know, what are people saying about me out there? And then He turns and He brings it in. I like to think of this, by the way, this is sort of like the undergraduate exam. Who do, who do you say that I am? Like, I just, I need to be sure that you've got this. And so Peter responds, verses 15 and 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there it is again. Who is he? You are God, very God. And by the way, don't, you know, Peter… I, I, I kind of think he may have, like, choked that out. You know, if there was one thing any self-respecting Jew knew, it was that God wasn't a man, okay? And so, for Peter to say, you are God, very God, like, that, Jesus, Jesus exclaims, he gives praise to God, because that is something that only God could have revealed to him, to believe that God could come in the form of a man for even for us to believe that today, that's a supernatural work that has to take place in our hearts for us to see who Jesus is. All right, so he says, okay, having established that, let me tell you what I've come to do. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance 
to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, this is new information. Okay. All right. So, uh, two things that a self-respecting Jew would have known. God is not a man, and number two, Messiahs don't suffer and die. All right? This, this we have never heard of. Messiahs come and they conquer. Messiahs come and they put down our enemies. Messiahs come and they heal people. Messiahs don't come and suffer and die. And so Peter very, you know, deliberately takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, no, no. You will not be suffering and dying on my watch. And Jesus uses some of the strongest language to Peter that he uses anywhere in the Gospels. He says, Peter, you get behind me. If you stop me from doing this work that my Father has called me to do, then you're on the other team. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah, I, I think Peter, I think Jesus is like, this is hard. You're my friend. Don't distract me from the work that I've got to do because I'm, I'm real serious about this. Because, Peter, what you have to understand is, yes, there is a path to glory here. And, yes, I'm inviting you to come with me on it. But this path to glory goes through a cross. And so he says then in the next verse, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, let me just be clear. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me just, let me just tell you the cost, Okay. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it meant for them to follow Jesus. This is what it means for us to follow Jesus. First of all, he says, he says deny yourself. And let me just be clear here too. Deni- denying ourselves is different from self-denial. This is bigger than like not having the second piece of pie when you're done with dinner, all right? Denying yourself means that everything you planned on, all of your ambitions, all of your motives, all of the things that you dreamed about before you came to Christ, they now are submitted under his lordship. You're David Cleland, the person who grew up as David Cleland, the, 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 the plan the guidance counselor drew up on the dry erase board, it is now null and void apart from Christ. All of those motives, all of those dreams, all of those ambitions must be submitted to him. This is what I said earlier. Jesus doesn't want to just give you a better life. He wants to give you a new life, all right? So we deny ourselves, and then we take up our cross. And, and think about this with me for a moment, because he hasn't died on the cross yet, okay? So this is not, we're living 2,000 years after the cross. For these guys, he hasn't died. So, so what do they think when they hear about cross-bearing? Well, here's what they think about. Crucifixion was absolutely one of the most horrific forms of execution ever devised by human beings. But it wasn't just about pain. It was about shame. And it was about demonstrating that you were now in the, under the control of the Roman government. If you were going to rebel against Rome, the goal of Rome was that you would walk around outside the city and that you would see those people hanging from these crosses, naked and bleeding and screaming out in pain, and that you would say, oh, I, I don't ever want to do that. And so you remain in submission to Rome. And so that, that executed man, just like Jesus did, as his final act in this world would carry that crossbeam through the streets of whatever, wherever city he was. And so the people around would know that man in his final act in this world is demonstrating 
that he is under submission to the Roman government. I think what Peter is trying to tell us, I'm sorry, Jesus, is that we are supposed to be people who carry our cross in that we demonstrate with our lives from the moment we get saved until we die, we demonstrate with our lives that we are now people who are under submission to God. Our lives are an example of what it means to be in the submission, uh, in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? To take up your cross, to bear a cross, it doesn't mean that you… it's not an act. It's a pathway. It's a way that we walk, and it leads to glory. We know that the cross leads to glory, but it is a, it is a costly road nonetheless. And so then he says, you follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do the things that I do. Walk like I walk. Now, I think the disciples were really discouraged here. Because I think up to this point, they were like, this Messiah thing is good. I'm ready to get in on the ground floor of this organization. And now we're talking about suffering and dying. As a matter of fact, I believe that that's why in every gospel, the, um, the transfiguration follows this discussion. Because I think they needed some encouragement to know that, no, this, this is the real deal. But maybe you, like the disciples, are like, I don't know about this following Jesus thing. I don't know about this suffering and dying. I don't know about this way of the cross, denying myself, taking up my cross, following Him. Well, Jesus says this, verse 25, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is saying this, look, if you're wavering, let me tell you something. You can try to hang on to your life. You can skip the self-denial and the cross-bearing. But if you do, you will lose your life. Like, you can invest everything in this life and it will be gone. Or you can lose your life for my sake and you will find new life waiting for you in eternity. This is like the best, most sound financial advice you could ever get. Invest in Christ. Invest in eternity and you will receive everything. Try to hang on to it. Skip the self-denial. Skip the cross-bearing, and you will find that you've lost it all. So let's just say this. A follower of Christ is a person who is learning to give this life away because he believes that Jesus has promised to give him a new one. Let me say that again. A follower of Christ is a person who is learning to give this life away because he believed that Jesus has promised to give him a new one. So, with that, I want to turn and I want to talk about submitting to Scripture this morning. That's, that's, I, lo I love this. I'm so excited that the guys have asked me to do this. I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about Scripture. In some ways, it's more like what Jesus doesn't say, uh, but we want to talk about, let's just say it like this. This is Jesus' perspective on the Scripture and how it relates to a follower, okay? So, first of all, I want us to notice this this morning. Jesus assumed that his followers would know the Scripture. I believe that Jesus assumed that his followers would know the Scripture. And, and, and the reason I say this is kind of an argument from silence, but when Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says, okay, here's what it means to be my follower, he doesn't say, all right, I need you to start having a quiet time. He never really lays that down. He never says, pick up your Bible and study it. I think there's an assumption that these guys are already doing that work. And I think it goes back to John 6. I think it goes back to Peter. You know, where else am I going to go? You have the words of life. Brothers and sisters, once we've recognized that, 
we are well down the road in terms of following Christ. Once you have seen that Jesus Christ Himself, that we know God and Jesus through the Word, and that there is this banquet to be feasted on, you're, you're out of the gates, all right? So, I, I believe that those who followed Jesus in the New Testament were, were down the road only in the sense that they had already embraced, I, I have got to find out what this says, because these are the words of life, and, and, I, and, I, and I, need to, I need to know that. Just think about this. When you come to Christ and you realize that sin has separated you from God, but in Him you have forgiveness and now you can have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ once again, you want to know about that and you want to know God and you want to enjoy Him. But how do you do that? You read the things that He has told us about himself. In the Old Testament, he does these mighty acts. He, he separates the waters, and he brings his people out, and he, 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 he gives them the land of Canaan, and then he, he tells us about himself in those things. And then in the New Testament, we look at the life of Christ, and we learn who God is by seeing who Jesus is. By the way, in my experience, some of the people with the most voracious appetites for Scripture are people who are new believers because they're like, I, I, I got to find out what this says. This is, this is important. Let me just add this too, and I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead here to Deuteronomy 6. Um, when we understand who God is and who Jesus is and, and that He has the Word of life, it is something that we talk about with those we love especially our family. Let me read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 for you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you arise. When you're in your house, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're standing up, that's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> all the time all the time. Teach them to your children. Man, when I grasp that these are the words of eternal life, man, I want my kids to know that. I, I want them to know that because they need to understand, right? They need to understand also that these are the words. So, so here's the simple point. Jesus never commands us to read the Bible because I think He assumes that those who follow Him will want to know what God has said. I just think it's that simple. And this, this can be a good heart check for you this morning. Just go with me here. Ask yourself, do I hunger for God's Word? At some level, we're going to talk about, you know, specifics at the end. But is there a hunger in my heart for God's Word? Am I at least interested in the things that God has to say. One of the things I love to pray, I pray this often when I get ready uh, to, 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 to encounter God's Word. This is Psalm 119, 17 and 18. You can, you can write it down there. It's, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Man, if I can approach the Scriptures every day and if God would just open my eyes to what it says in a way that I understand wonderful things, then I'm, again, I'm out of the gates, okay? All right, second thing, number two. Jesus assumed that the Scriptures are clear. I think that Jesus assumed that the Scriptures were clear to those who want to understand. He never allows anybody to get away 
with saying, ah, you know, okay. I, in other words, Jesus never says this. Oh, I see how this, promise, this problem arose. You didn't understand what the Bible really says. He never says that. In fact, over and over again, He says, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? He says it to His disciples. He says it to the Pharisees, to the trained people, to the untrained people. And, and then at one point, He even says, you don't understand because you don't have God. Like, you're trying to read these Scriptures, and you don't understand what they say because you don't want to believe. And here's the, here's the truth. This is what I want you to understand this morning. Sin has an effect on our minds. Proverbs 14 says there's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. And so, our tendency is to come to the Scriptures, uh, you know, thinking to ourselves, I, I, there's a way that seems right to me. Mm, that ain't it. When we come to the Scriptures, in order to understand, what we have to be willing to say is, there's a way that seems right to me, and it leads to death, but these are the words of eternal life. That's the difference. And so, when we give ourselves over to what seems right to us, we will not understand the Scriptures. Which leads me to say this, Jesus considered the inability to understand the Bible, it's not an intellectual problem, it's a spiritual problem. From Jesus' perspective, if you can't understand, it's a spiritual problem. Early on in His ministry, Jesus speaks very plainly. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, you know, that's, that's as plain as you get. But at, at one point, He does something very interesting. He starts to speak in parables, and He goes out one day. Now remember, this is an agrarian society. He goes out one day and He says, okay, everybody, listen up. There's a farmer. He's got some seed. He takes the seed out. And he throws some of it, and it goes on the hard ground, and some of it goes on the thorny ground, and some of it goes over here on the rocky ground. And then some of it goes on the good soil, and it bears fruit. Thank you very much. See you later. And he leaves. And his disciples are like, what was that? And they even, they, they go to him in Mark 4, 10 through 12, they go to him. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and they said to him, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I know this is hard teaching. I know this is hard teaching, but what's going on here? is that Jesus had spoken plainly to the people, and they had said, we don't believe. And so Jesus stopped speaking plainly so that those who wanted to understand could understand, and those who didn't want to understand couldn't. To not understand God's Word is actually God's judgment. It is God's mercy and His grace that we open our eyes to see God's Word. And, and, and the, the way that we do that is to, by His mercy and grace, actually come to God's Word wanting to know what it says so that we can obey. Which means there's really three simple truths here. Number one, the Bible will not be understood by those who are not willing to receive its teachings. It just won't. If you come with the way that seems right to you, you won't understand. But the Bible will be understood by unbelievers who read it seeking salvation, praise God. If you come to the Word of God seeking to be saved, you will understand. And then secondly, the Bible will be understood by believers who seek God's help and desire to understand and obey. 
I want to offer you encouragement this morning, because I, I, I think many Christians don't understand what I'm about to say, and I think it's a glorious, glorious truth, and that is this. Do not underestimate the power of repentance to explode your understanding of the Scriptures. And maybe some of you have had this experience before, but you've been reading the Bibles and you've been the Bible and you've been praying, and you know you're, the, you're, the prayers just aren't going up over the ceiling, and you're just like, I don't know, I don't, know, I don't, I'm, I'm reading, I don't understand, I don't see what's going on. And then one day, by the grace of God, you realize, oh man, I've been doing this. This is contrary to God's word. I, I've got bitterness in my heart towards this person. I, I, I've not been obeying in this area. I've been, I've been greedy. Whatever, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you're like, I repent. I repent, and you go and obey, or you go and you make it right, and then all of a sudden, whoom, the grace of God flows in. And all of a sudden, what, what seemed just like, you know, Greek on a page suddenly comes alive, and you're like, I can't get enough of this stuff. It's, it's, it's like fresh water. So let me encourage you this morning. I, I, I let me challenge you. If there's sin that you're holding on to in your life, if there's something that God has been convicting about and you about and, and you haven't taken care of it, go and repent and obey and see that the floodgates don't open in terms of your relationship with Him and in terms of the understanding of what He has said. Number three, Jesus always considers the Scriptures to be a means to an end. I know I'm going fast. I know I'm saying a lot of things. Uh, but I want to get to the end so we can have a few practical things to say. And wh what I mean by this is simply, you can have a quiet time every day for the rest of your life and still end up in hell. There are people in hell who probably have vast amounts of the Scripture memorized because the Scripture is a means to an end. It is a means to know Christ and obey Him. It is not something that we do to check the box. In and of itself, reading the Bible doesn't make you holy. Reading the Bible to understand it and to know God and to obey Him, that is what changes your life. And so, I think that Jesus has two ends in mind when He speaks of encountering the Scriptures. Number one, that just very simply that we would know Him. Uh, let, me, let me read this quote. I love this quote. This comes from the book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. And it's, he's quoting somebody else. But I, I love this quote. Go on reading the Bible until you can read it no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore because when your eyes close in death for the last time and you never again read the Word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the Word of God in the flesh, the same Jesus of the Bible whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever to His eternal home. I mean, I mean just restate that because you want to read the Bible so that you can know Jesus and that you can know Him so well that when you close your eyes in death, you will immediately open them, and you will find Jesus in the flesh, the same person that you have known for so long as Jesus in the Word of God. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if that doesn't just send some kind of little tingle down your spine, then that needs a heart check too, because that's our goal, right? Our goal is to arrive in heaven and have Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to find Jesus in the flesh, the same person that we've known for so long as Jesus in the pages of Scripture. So first of all, His goal is that we would know Him, and secondly, that we would obey Him. John 15, 7 through 10 says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, look, if you prove to be my disciples, you can ask whatever you wish, and I'll do it. And then you will bear much fruit, and you will know that you are my disciples. So what I hear that is answered prayer and assurance. If I abide in Christ, Jesus promises that I will have answered prayer and assurance. How do I have that? How do I abide in Christ? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Obey. Read the Scriptures and obey. And you will find your prayers answered, and you will find assurance that you are his disciple, and you will find that you bear much fruit. Listen, I'm a great, I'm a, I'm a good Protestant, okay? I believe in, in salvation by faith alone. Don't, you know. But there is a promise here about obeying God. It has nothing to do with getting you saved. It has to do with knowing Jesus and prayers being answered and assurance of salvation and bearing fruit. And, and, and listen, I, I just believe if we would be a people who are searching this book so that we can do what Jesus says, we would find blessing beyond anything we could imagine. Number four, quickly, Jesus uses Scripture to, to, uh, to, to fight temptation. And I don't have a lot. I'd love to spend more time with this. Matthew chapter four. Hopefully I've inspired you to read the Word of God. So go read Matthew, Matthew four later. But just know that Jesus, every time the devil confronts him, as hungry as he is in the wilderness after having not eaten for 40 days, Jesus responds with Scripture. <laughs> and Scripture from Deuteronomy too, I should add. Like, you know, we've got a whole lot more in our arsenal, you know, and Jesus is using Deuteronomy, okay? So let me just encourage you. Get Scripture in you so that you can fight the devil by responding with God's Word, okay? Which really brings me up to to where I want to finish up this morning, which is just some practical things for you to talk about how we can interact with the Scripture. I've been using this phrase, Bible intake, over and over again very intentionally, okay? And and, because I want to expand just beyond just simply reading the Bible, all right? So the, the first point I want to leave you with this morning is this. Bible intake is not just a preoccupation for super-Christians. Please hear me on this. Bible intake is spiritual food for every Christian. If you are a follower of Christ, it should be your goal to to understand and to read and to, to get the Scripture inside of you. This is baseline expectation for following Christ. Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, when I talk about Bible intake, I, I, I've learned to be a reader. I actually was not a reader in high school. I was more like a Cliff Notes guy, okay? Uh, and God, you know, by, has sort of, I've learned how to read, but I don't remember things particularly well that I read. I have to work at it a lot harder, but I'm a really good auditory learner. When I hear something, I can remember it. So I, uh, you know, several years back, got the Bible on, on, on uh, MP3. I, I got it on CDs, but you don't even know what that is. Uh, so I, I took all my CDs and I put them on MP3s, and now I can listen to the Scripture. Um, so like yesterday, uh, I was mowing my grass very early because uh, it was like 90 degrees outside at 8.30. And, and I'm, I'm just, as I'm, as I'm mowing the Scripture, I'm just, I mean, <laughs> 
probably a metaphor there somewhere. But as I'm mowing the grass, uh, I'm just listening to the Scripture. You know, it's just, it's able to just go into me, okay? And so, I would just encourage you, if you're not a great reader, if that's holding you up, Listen to the Scripture. Find other ways to get the Scripture. If you drive around a lot, get uh, uh, an audio version of the Bible and listen to it. Meditate on it. Memorize it, okay? Remember, the idea is that whether we're walking or sitting down or lying down, whether we're at the table with our kids, whatever, we're constantly turning the Scripture over and over in our hearts, okay? That being said, I do want to encourage you, and I think that this is the example of Jesus as well. Spend time in the Word every day. Make an appointment to meet with God. Pray. Next week, Cain is going to talk about prayer as one of our specs. Make an appointment with God every day. Listen, here's how I think about this. I eat, all right? None of you out there are saying to yourself right now, that guy needs to eat something, okay? It's clear. I enjoy food, okay? And uh, I'll tell you this, like, when I miss lunch, uh, one day, I never say, doggone it, I'm done with lunch. I'm not having any more lunch anymore. I can't ever remember to eat it. I don't say that. Sometimes, in fact, I'll, I'll like double up the next day because I feel like I got some calories to exchange here, right? All right? So, my point is, I've eaten, and it's, it's evident. I don't remember every meal, you know? My mom's made some really good ones, a couple of like buffets that are like, you know, way up there in my mind, but I know that I've eaten, all right? It's the same with the Scripture, okay? The important thing is that you are feeding on God's Word. Your quiet time every day may not be the most spectacular thing that you've ever experienced, okay? But listen, because I, I know this is a big issue for people who are trying to develop the habit. If you miss a day, don't quit. Get back the next day. Read God's Word faithfully develop an appetite for God's Word, and become a person about whom it can be said, clearly, clearly, He, he feeds on the Scripture. You know, he, he, he partakes of that spiritual food, and it, and it shows because he or she is a healthy person, all right? And also this, as you read, make it your goal to read to obey. Don't just read to read. Make it your goal to read, to understand, and obey. Okay, number two, every Christian can understand the Scripture. Every Christian can understand the Scripture. And I believe this with all my heart. Uh, Psalm 19.7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I know this is a big holdup for many people. The Scripture seems like a giant book, and a lot of it, at first glance, doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, I remember as a, as a young Christian, um, actually, when I first got to seminary, there were a bunch of guys there, and man, they knew so much more than I did. And I was like, ah, man, I, this is, I remember sitting down and just being like, I'm going to read Jeremiah. I'm going to do it. And I, I just started chapter by chapter. I'm reading Jeremiah. That was like the hardest, for some reason, that was the hardest book I could think of. You know, and I just started reading through. And, and over time, I actually prayed, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. I prayed, God, just give me a love for this book. I want to know what it says. And y'all, he answered that prayer. That is a prayer that brings glory to him, okay? So if you are a person who you've desired more Bible intake, but you haven't gotten there yet, ask God to help you. And I believe that he will want to help you in that. In, in that. Look, New Testament epistles, they're dense. They are. But they were written to churches, 
They were written to the church at Rome and the church in Galatia and the church at Ephesus, and it could just as easily have been the church in Savannah. And, and, and so those letters that were written by Paul were just read for normal people, all of us, to understand. They weren't just written for pastors or, or, or seminary professors, all right? Listen, I want to help you with this. Uh, I, I think officially now I'm the equipping pastor around here. Uh, that's my job. I would love to teach you more about the Scriptures. We're going to be doing some more things in, in CBC training, but the goal is to get you excited so that you feed yourself. That's my goal, okay? I love to teach you, but, but I want you to pray with the psalmist. You know, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things for your word. If I could just get you to catch that glimpse, then you will feed yourself and you will love it and you will begin feeding other people as well. All right, number three. And uh, I'm going to close on a sobering note this morning, okay, uh, very intentionally. And, and, and I, I've considered these last words very, very carefully. Um, we turn to the Scripture to give us a perspective on the world we live in. Um, my final point has to do with the things that happened in our country, uh, Louisiana, Minnesota, Dallas, other places this week. And the Scripture tells us that we live in a world where there is two kinds of wisdom. There is wisdom that is demonic that comes from the world, and there is wisdom that comes from above. And so the follower of Jesus turns to God's Word in order to get God's wisdom so we can recognize the distinction between that and the wisdom of the world. I want my encouragement to you, first of all, this morning is to get rid of the media. You know, you cannot understand these things with 164 characters on Twitter. Turn to God's Word to find wisdom. It's not easy. It's complicated. Human hearts are sinful, okay? The, the, the world we live in is complicated. Our communities are complicated. Our nation is complicated right now, all right? But I just want to encourage everybody, turn to the Word of God to try to understand how to navigate these things. So I've just come up with, uh, I think, six points here that I just want to go through real quickly to, 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 to show us how the Word of God, I think, speaks to the things that we're experiencing. Number one is this. We said regarding the horrors of Orlando that what we need is a righteous king, okay? Right now, we have leaders all over the world. They're sinful just like we are, okay? And they have their own motivations and their own reasons for doing things. They're fallible. So we can start to pray, first of all, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Be our righteous king. Make things right. That should be the yearning of the hearts of believers. Secondly, Scripture commands us to mourn with those who mourn and to bear one another's burdens. We are a body here at CBC. There are complicated issues at stake here, okay? But we are a congregation made up of different races and different backgrounds. And I know for certain that there are black brothers and sisters in this body who are hurting. There are members of the police community who are in this body who are hurting. And we shouldn't ignore that, okay? So we, we want to be people who mourn with those who mourn. Which brings me to this, and I, I need you to go back with me a couple of weeks. We need to be people who are like Boaz and not people who are like Mr. So-and-so. Do you remember the distinction? Mr. Boaz was willing to enter into the mess that was Ruth and Naomi, and it was complicated, okay? Mr. So-and-so was like, eh, I, I don't want to touch that. Okay? So we need to be people who are willing to get messy. We need to be willing to deal with difficult issues that require prayer and wisdom. 
You may worry that you're not going to say the right thing or do the right thing. But remember, we say this often here, love moves toward the issue, all right? Love moves toward the issue. Number four, the Scriptures that we're talking today, this book leaves room for lament. Psalm 73, Psalm 74, you can go and read godly men crying out, saying, why why is there so much violence? Why, Why is there so much injustice? Lord, come quickly. Set this to right. There is room for us as the people of God to lament. Everything isn't happy, happy all the time. And so we, together as a body, lament together and cry out to God, how much longer? When are you going to make these things right? Number five, under all circumstances, loss of life is horrific, no matter what. They are all human beings. Everybody involved in the horrible things that have happened are human beings. They are created in the image of God. It is sad. They come from families. They come from communities. And at the very least, we can pray for those families and those communities that they would be comforted in this difficult time. And then finally this, and I'm sure there's so much more I could say, and I'm just scratching the surface, but a week like this has the potential to break people out of their slumber. Because unlike most weeks, we are very clear that we have a problem with sin and we have a problem with death. And if we are going to be reconciled with one another, we're going to need something supernatural that comes from outside of us. We need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus for forgiveness of sin. We need Jesus so that we can escape death. We need a king who will reign over us and rule righteously. But most of all, we need a Holy Spirit that's going to come into our hearts and show us all of our selfish ambition and our vain pride so that we can love one another. And I will say this, if we are people who are submitting ourselves to the Scripture, which says they will know us by our love, by the way, if we are denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Him, then we must be people who love our neighbor, no matter what, and we don't hate Him. I know these are hard things, and we want to be uh, available to help you to talk through some of these things, but I, I did not want to let the things go by without speaking about them. And, and again, CBC, we, we're not entering into the mess. We are the mess, all right? So let's embrace that, think through that carefully through the Scriptures with wisdom and with love. All right, uh, the, the, the music guys are going to come back up here. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll sing. Father, these are really complicated things. And uh, we would ask humbly that you would give us wisdom. Your Word actually says if we ask for wisdom… Uh, you, give, uh, you give a lot of it, and you give without reproach. And so, Father, we ask for that now. God, give us the grace. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. May we be people who, who know who Christ is and who know that he has the word of, words of life and, and who devote ourselves to finding that out. And God, may we not just look in the mirror and turn away and, and see the smudge on our face and leave without wiping it off, but may we be people who, who, who read the word and obey it by your grace. And Father, we know you're going to bless us. You know you, you want to bless our repentance and our joy and obedience, we pray in, in Christ's name, amen.